Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. I don't need to tell you that today is Christmas Day. December 25, 2022, the day that most of the world celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ, the wonderful reality of the incarnation of Christ, a major, if not the major, doctrine in all the Word of God. I say most of the world. There are a couple of exceptions to that. There are certainly some parts of the world that are have so few Christians that Christmas is not generally celebrated in those places, though the few Christians who are there may very well do so. And what a reminder that we still have a work to do. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. And so we need to preach the gospel to those who are in far-flung places where the gospel has not been declared or certainly not widely disseminated. And then there are actually parts of the world that are in the realm of Christendom that do not celebrate Christmas on December 25, but rather celebrate it on January 6th, if my memory serves me correctly. It's a date early in January. And that is simply because of the nature of the calendar, which has been changed and The Western world adopted a particular change in the calendar. In the Eastern world, the world of Eastern Orthodoxy did not follow that same adaptation. And so their calendar is different from ours. And so on our calendar, we celebrate Christmas today, which is our December 21st, but they celebrated on January 6th, and that uh, I couldn't tell you much more about it than that, except just that explanation. Not everybody celebrates Christmas on the same day. But the point is not the date, because the Bible doesn't give us a date for the birth of Christ. The point is the wonderful reality of the incarnation, that God became man. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And there was a day when the eternal God of the universe, who had no beginning or no end, was born in a manger in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophets. And many 
prophecies concerning the birth of the Christ were fulfilled on that day, and millions of people have been rescued from sin and condemnation because of that day, and I trust that you are one of them. So thank you for tuning to the Beacon Broadcast on this Sunday, December 25. Thank you for your financial help that keeps us teaching God's Word on this station. And it's not too late to drop a special year-end contribution to the Beacon Broadcast in the mail or to donate online at our church website, beaconbaptist.com, to help us close out the book, the books for 2022 in the black and not in the red. Well, what are we going to consider on this Christmas Day? I'm laying aside for this particular time our study in the Gospel of John, and I'm looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, which is Matthew's account of the birth of Christ. It begins in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. A familiar account. And I would gladly talk about that account, but I'm actually going to talk about what comes before that. Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus Christ does not begin at verse 1 of chapter 1. It begins at verse 18 of chapter 1. Well, what takes up the first 17 verses? The genealogy of Jesus Christ. It begins like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and so forth, down through 17 verses before we come to the verse I read a moment ago. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. A genealogy. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus Christ. A genealogy, the part we usually skip when we read the Bible, right? There are a number of genealogies in the Old Testament, not so many in the New Testament, but there are a couple. One of them is here, one of them is in Luke chapter 3. But we generally skip over them because they are, well, they're rather tedious reading, aren't they? Just name after name after name after name when the names are unfamiliar and difficult to pronounce. And so we tend to skip the genealogies, but God has put them in the Bible for a reason. All Scripture, not all but the genealogies, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So what is a genealogy after all? Well, it is a record of a family lineage. It was very important, of course, for the nation of Israel to keep their genealogical records in order to maintain their tribal identifications and their national identification, vitally important to them. Also, it was important for land transactions to make sure that the tribes, the, the territories that were allotted to the, tri- to the 12 tribes did not get all broken up by people marrying, cross-marrying from one tribe into another, and then an inheritance passing from 
the original tribe into a different tribe until pretty soon the whole tribal territories would no longer be recognizable. But there was a provision made for that so that that did not happen, but the records were important to keep track of all of that. And it was vitally important for the priesthood. You may recall in the book of Ezra that Ezra had to reject some of the priests or some of the people who said they were priests, said they were of the tribe of Levi and were priests, but they could not prove it from genealogical records. They didn't have the records. The records somehow had become lost in the Babylonian captivity. And without that evidence that they truly qualified, Ezra could not accept them. Oh, how important were these genealogies. And so we need to understand something, at least, about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ is certainly in the line of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, and right on down to David. He is the promised seed of Abraham. He is the promised seed of David. A promise was made to Abraham and to your seed. And Galatians tells us that seed was Christ. Christ is in the lineage of Abraham But he is also David's greater son. Christ is in the lineage of David. And so we actually have these two genealogies of Christ in the Bible. This one in Matthew 1 and a second one in Matthew chapter 3. And they go in opposite directions in this respect. Matthew's genealogy begins with Abraham and traces his lineage through David to Joseph, the husband of Mary. That's the last verse before we get to the end. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So Matthew begins with Abraham. Luke goes the other way. He begins with Jesus and then traces it backwards. We think Luke's genealogy is actually Mary's family. It's not crystal clear, but that seems to be the case. And he traces traces Christ's genealogy back through David, because both David and Mary were of the lineage of David, but back through David all the way to Adam. Now, you need to understand that not all the names are included. That would be a long genealogy, to be sure. If every single individual were named from Jesus all the way back to Adam, we cannot imagine how long that genealogy would be. It would be very helpful to answer some questions if the Holy Spirit had chosen to do it that way, but he did not. And so there are some some names that are skipped, some generations that are skipped, but there is a lineage that is recorded that certifies the blood descent of Jesus from David to Mary and the legal right of Jesus as the legal son of Joseph to occupy the throne of David. And so that's what we have. And we're going to focus on four individuals in this record. We couldn't possibly study it all on one broadcast, but we're going to focus on four individuals in this record that are unusual in that they are women And generally, women are not included in the genealogies. It's just the men, the 
lineage is traced from father to son to father to son. And normally women are not included, but these women, all of them we could, I think, accurately call outcasts. And some of them were notable for their lack of of virtue, but each teaches us something about the grace of God. And taken together, these four add a deep luster to this family tree that could only be achieved by the amazing grace of God. So let's look at these four. I've got my work cut out for me to cover all four in the time that remains. But number one, let's look at Tamar in verse 3 to see what grace can forgive. I start at verse 1 again, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. By Tamar. What's so significant about that? Well, you have to go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 28, And there you're going to read a very sad account of deception and prostitution and incest. Yes, that's what you find in the biblical record. The Bible does not shield us from these realities. The people in the line of Christ, the people in Bible days, were just as sinful in many ways as the people in our day. And actually, it's one of the strengths of the Bible that it does not try to eliminate those accounts, to shield its heroes and its people from a, an accurate record of their sins. But the Bible just includes it all because actually we're all sinners. And so even the great Abraham was a sinner, and some of his sins are recorded in the book of Genesis. And David, the great David, we certainly know something about the magnitude of his sin, and that's recorded faithfully in Scripture and so forth. There are very few of the Old Testament heroes for which some failures are not recorded. There are maybe a couple, and some, that the record's so short it really doesn't record anything about them at all, but where any any, uh, sizable record of their lives is included, you almost inevitably find not only some of the good things, the wonderful things that they did, but also some of the shameful things they did. And here we come to the account of Tamar. Judah, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, brother to Joseph, Judah, the father of the tribe of Judah, through which we get David and is the tribe of Jesus Christ. Judah, when he was living, chose a wife for his son Ur by the name of Tamar. But Ur was killed by God as a judgment for his sin. Read about it in Genesis 38, verse 7. Tamar then, according to the custom of that day, was given to Ur's brother, a man named Onan, But he also was judged by God and killed. And you read about that in Genesis 38.10. Well, I won't go into all the details of the account, but as it unfolds, we realize that Tamar conceived twins 
by her father-in-law Judah. Perez, the firstborn, carried the Messianic line. Now, I say I won't go into that sordid story, but you can see what I'm talking about. Deception, prostitution, feigned actually, but incest for sure, because Tamar deceitfully tricked her father-in-law, who was looking for a prostitute, shame on Judah, into thinking that she was an available prostitute, and she had relations with him, and conceived by him, and bore children to him, because he had not arranged for another husband for her after the first two were killed. What a shameful account. If we can still blush in this day and time, it really ought to cause us to blush. But here is Tamar, and she conceives twin boys, and one of them, Perez, the firstborn, carried on the Messianic line. Verse 3, Judah begot Perez. Judah. Judah, the brother to Joseph, one of the fathers of, of the twelve tribes. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, his own daughter-in-law, in an incestuous relationship, carries the messianic line of which Jesus is born. That woman, Tamar, is found in the family tree. How? <laughs> well, by God's design. Why? Is a demonstration, I think, of God's grace. I'm probably talking to some people today who have sinned in the past with sins that you would blush should they be revealed. They're really too shameful to talk about, and you are ashamed of them and would not want others to know about them. Oh, if everybody in the church knew about the sins of everybody else, how shocked, how shocked we would be. But you see, this just shows us that there are no sins that are so great that God's grace cannot prevail. God's grace is greater than all our sin. And those who repent and believe the promises of God have not only their small sins forgiven, but their great ones too. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. The Apostle Paul considered himself to be the chief of sinners. What had he done? Well, he was guilty of murder. He murdered Christians before he became a Christian. We know that. We don't know if there's anything else of similar shame, but that is certainly a big one. A murderer who became an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, here we find an adulteress and a deceiver and a seducer who is forgiven and is found in the line of Christ. Oh, see what grace can forgive. But we move on to another woman by the name of Rahab. In verse 5, we read back in verse 3 again, Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon, 
and Nashon begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Who was Rahab? The name Rahab means pride or insolence or even savagery. And what a background she had. Who was Rahab? A prostitute. A professional woman of the streets who made her living by selling her body to whoever was interested in paying the price to have her for sexual pleasure. She was a professional prostitute who lived in Jericho and was a pagan worshiper of pagan deities. And yet, by the grace of God, she was given an opportunity to leave that behind and by faith to cast her lot with the people of God. And so when Joshua sent out the spies to spy out Jericho and the land of Canaan, Jericho was on the, on the border and would have to be conquered first before the people of Israel could move into the land of Canaan. And when he sent out spies, they came to Rahab's house and she hid them from her own government. Why did she do that? What would have prompted her to do that? to side with these foreigners instead of with her own people, her own nation. It's hard to explain that except by a work of God's grace in her heart that somehow gave her the faith to believe that the God of Israel was the one true God, and these men represented the one true and living God, and her only hope of finding salvation was to find it through this God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, And the best way to do that was to befriend the people of God. And she hid the spies that came from Israel and extracted a promise from them that she and her household would be spared when they came to conquer Jericho, as she knew that they would, and fully expected them to prevail. And so she was spared and brought into the land, the nation of Israel. And she married a man named Salmon, and became the mother of Boaz, godly Boaz. You read about him in the book of Ruth. She became the mother of Boaz, evidently became a godly wife and mother, and became the great-great-grandmother of David, King David. Wow. In Tamar, we see what grace can forgive. In Rahab, we see what grace can produce. Grace, the grace of God, is able to take the vilest sinner and produce a productive, godly citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Rahab became. And yet she never lost her reputation. She's called, even in the New Testament, Rahab the harlot that clung to her for the rest of her life. But the grace of God forgave her. She was cleansed. She was, she was justified. She was as sinless before the judgment bar of God as Jesus Christ himself. See what grace can produce. See what grace can forgive. Wow, what a testimony. Is that your need? Are you in need of great cleansing? 
Well, I can tell you about a Savior who is not only able but willing to cleanse the vilest sins of those who repent and trust in him. But we must move on quickly and see what grace can overcome. And we can now come to the name of Ruth, also in verse 5. Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. The story of Ruth, you know that, I'm sure. It's found in the book of Ruth, four short chapters in the Old Testament. Elimelech, a Jew, in a time of famine, took his family, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, and went down to the land of Moab. And there his two sons became married to Moabitish women, one named Ruth and the other named Orpah. And all the men died. Elimelech died. Malon died. Kilion died. Nobody was left but the widow Naomi and the widows Ruth and Orpah. And Naomi heard that there was food in Bethlehem, and she headed back. And her daughter-in-law started to go with her, and she tried to persuade them to go back. And Orpah was willing to be persuaded. She went back, back to her nation, back to her 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 deities, her, to her idol worship, but Ruth had a strong, compelling desire to stay with Naomi. She wasn't going to be separated from Naomi because she too had come to believe that the one true God is Israel's God, and she needed to stay with the people of God if she was going to be saved by the grace of God. And so we see what grace can overcome. God can give you new desires. God can give you inexplainable desires. Ruth was a Moabitess. There were particular sanctions upon people from from the tribe of or the land of Moab. But she became the wife of Boaz, a godly and wealthy man, and eventually became the the mother of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. She became the great-great-grandmother of great King David. Oh, see what grace can accomplish. But I must move on if I'm going to get to number four. See what grace can erase, because we come to verse six. And Jesse begat David the king. David the king begat Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. There it is. David's well-known sin, that famous sin of adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and murder of Uriah to try to cover his sin. Talk about a shameful story. There it is, David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba is mentioned in this text, but her name is not even given, so great is the shame. It just says, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. She sinned with David, who murdered her husband. A child was born, the child died. A second child was born, Solomon, who became the next king. <laughs> of all the sons of David, all, all others from legitimate wives, Bathsheba, we would have to say, was an illegitimate wife that was acquired in a shameful, sinful way. And yet, Here is that wife, by the grace of God, who becomes the mother of the next king of Israel and is found in the lineage of Jesus Christ. What do we learn? 
Well, surely we learn that Jesus is the friend of sinners. He can set you free. Yes, the Bible decimates self-righteousness, but the Bible exalts the grace of God for those who acknowledge their sin, who take the sinner's place, who are willing to own their sin, to name their sin, to confess their sin, to seek the pardon of God for their sin. That's the story. That's the message of the Incarnation. That's the message that I leave with you today. What a great God. What a gracious God. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.